Hey, Savages. It's Greg Medford from The Greg Medford Show. Thank you for joining us today. If you're not into Arizona politics, you should stick around because we're going to talk about the continuum of politics and how it's changed over the last decade a little bit today. We're going to talk to somebody who's been around politics for a decent amount of time, in and out of it a few times at a pretty high level, who's jumping back into it, and how the uh, lay of the land has changed in the post-Trump era, the Trump era, hopefully not the post-Trump era. And uh, we're going to chat a little bit about the lay of the land here with Arizona politics. As many of you have watched the election of 2020 blow up, unfold, get investigated, get looked at, get agreed upon, get not agreed upon. As you watch that, it's happening all around the country. And the one thing every time we see or there's the um, appearance of impropriety, has a tendency to put eyeballs on it and it can change the paradigm a little bit. So there's more discussion going on now about how we vote because it's been put into doubt a little bit. And I think it's one of the uh, compelling reasons to run for office. It's one of the compelling things to do as a state uh, elected official um, because we can control it at the state level and you can't really control it anywhere else without an epic power grab. So our, our guest today uh, has been a United States congressman from Arizona representing District 1 and 5. That's right. A couple times. It's Matt Salmon. Matt, thanks for coming in. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. I love these little sound buttons. They're kind of fun. Yeah. Makes you feel really good. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you guys, to give you just a quick wrap-up, um, U.S. Uh, Congressional District uh, 1 out of Arizona from 95 to 2001. Correct. Uh, and then uh, CD5, 2013-2017. Right. Was there a redistricting that happened during that period? Oh, yeah. Did, yeah, okay. it changed a lot. Okay. In fact, uh, when I was there in the 90s, I had most of the area that Cinema uh, represented when she was a congresswoman. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then you ran against Janet Napolitano in 2002. Yep. Tell me, how come you lost? I lost by less than 1%, and there were a few reasons. Uh, number one, uh, there was the uh, clean elections. And I don't know if you followed that, but uh, back then, the clean elections was very, very different. There was called matching funds. Mm -hmm. And after I won the primary pretty significantly, um, uh, the president came out and did a fundraiser for me, President Bush. We raised about a million four in one night but we only netted 900,000. The way the law was then, before the US Supreme Court declared the matching funds part of it unconstitutional, Janet Napolitano got a check for 1.4 while I only netted 900 because uh, we had to pay for dinners and the gas for Air Force One and the, and the venue. And uh, so then when the Republican Governors Association would come in and do ads for me, she got matching funds for that. So she ended up not even having to pick up the phone and uh, make a phone call for any fundraising while I was fundraising the traditional way because I believed that, you know, that was welfare for politicians. And it gave a really, really unfair advantage. Uh, that has been declared unconstitutional. If I ran under the current uh, paradigm, we'd have beat her by five points. But, you know, it sounds like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know much about it. We don't need to dive into it since it's history, but it right. sounds criminal as you were telling it sounds criminal as you're telling oh, it to me oh it stinks <laughs> and that's why the supreme court the u.s supreme court declared it unconstitutional but at that time the voters in arizona with a lot of liberal money from the outside passed it through an initiative and uh it really hurt and it uh it, it hurt the outcome of the campaign also uh the indian gaming initiative was on the ballot at the time and the tribes came out like never before or never since we also heard that there were instances 
on the Navajo Nation of people being bused from the New Mexico side to come vote in our election. And so there was a lot of things. Um, so you know, shenanigans, as usual. Oh, shenanigans. Uh, if, if we think that voter shenanigans just started happening now, then, you know. So I, were you against gaming at the time, or did they just assume you would be? Uh, no, it wasn't about whether I was against it or not. The tribal members came out and voted almost unilaterally uh, Democrat. Right. And so, and so that made a big difference in the campaign, too. But that won't be a factor this time. In fact, this time, uh, the other thing is during the midterm, of the president that's in office, the opposite party ends up taking major victories. And yeah. Bush was the president, and it was his uh, op, uh, op election time. Yeah. And, and, part and, of that, and the, so we had that going against us too. This time, with Biden being the president, that uh, is gonna be in my favor. And I think with everything that uh, Biden's done to hurt America from uh, Afghanistan, the inflation, the fact that he flipped the, uh, the, the idea that we were energy independent to begging for OPEC oil, oh, uh, you know, all, all of those things, yeah. I think puts the wind at my back. Let me ask you, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people don't understand this. So for you guys who aren't like crazy political followers, whenever the party in power in the White House is in their, the midterm, the two-year election, two-year cycle that comes up, there is a tendency for traditionally there is a kind of wind in the opposite direction of the party because there's some sort of you get a little fatigued by the time you're a year or two in that the, the uh, promises right. usually that are made that aren't kept create some fatigue with the party in power even though it may not be the party in power everywhere there is kind of wind against that party in power um, and there's a pendulum and they have a tendency to not do what they say they're going to do. So that, there's that's well, and, and Bush, uh, you know, during that time, remember, uh, mission accomplished. Oh yeah, and that, and, and all that crap. That I mean, that was well. that was wind in my face. Right. Also, the sitting governor of Arizona had signed into law. Uh, you know, remember the retrofitting of all the uh, vehicles with uh, propane and, and right. oh, you know, yeah. the natural gas, yep. and it cost the, it almost bankrupted the state. And they were actually calling the governor propane Jane. Um, I was dealing with all of that at that time, and it wasn't a good year for Republicans. Okay, um, you know, I uh, I want I'll, I'll, let's cover a little more history, and then I'm going to ask you a couple specific questions. Fire away, and, man! And then I want to talk about. You know, we're not too far off the same age. I'm a little younger than you are, but I've noticed I've had a couple of big shifts in my political worldview, not just in the last six years, but I've gone through a couple of big evolutions as a right. human being. And I want to talk to you about, you right. know, how that's been for you the last 10, 15 years. Absolutely. I'm always, I'm I'm concerned about people who have the same view in their 20s as they do in their 50s. Yeah. I'm like, did you get it all right? Or are you that goddamn unreflective? You haven't evolved and learned anything. Because I feel like... We ought to evolve a bunch and become more nuanced. Absolutely. Let's uh, let me talk about a few more things. So uh, let's see. Uh, in 2002, you ran against the Palatano. What did you do at, uh, after you ran and lost that election? I actually went went to work for a guy named uh, Jack London, uh, London Insurance, and uh, he was looking at a lot of investment opportunities, kind of angel uh, investing. Mm -hmm and wanted me to look for the best opportunities for him. So he figured you knew lots of business owners and been all around the state. Well, and, and, and also he was looking for some really, really great ideas for startup companies mm -hmm. to invest in himself. Okay. And he asked me to look for those opportunities for him. All right, cool. How long did you do that for? A couple of years. Uh, and when, when did you uh, go to start working for ASU? 
Uh, I, actually, I went to start working for ASU at the end of my congressional term in 2017. Okay. So a lot of you guys out there in American land, you guys don't know about Mormons, but we know about Mormons here in Arizona because it's the second highest concentration of Mormons outside of Salt Lake City, right. out in Mesa. Right. My family on my dad's side, they're all Mormon out there. Is so, that right? Yep. Last names are Smiths. Well, that's a good Mormon name. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, I wanted to uh, preface a little bit. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, most practicing Mormons, males, uh, go on a mission when right. they're 18. Is that right? 19. Six, 19. Well, now it's 18. They changed the age, but when I was young, it was 19. So uh, uh, Matt Salmon uh, obviously is LDS, and for those of you who don't know, it's Latter-day Saints, so it's Mormons. And uh, he's LDS, and he did his mission in Taiwan, 77 Correct. to 79. Correct. And you speak fluent Mandarin. I do. Okay. Um, one of the... There's a weird thing going on right now with the new conservatives that have entered in the last few four or five years who've all decided they're conservatives all of a sudden. Right. They're like, they're, they remind me of folks. So I was raised Greek Orthodox. And uh, in the old days, Greek Orthodox had a look to it. And now a lot of Greek Orthodox people are American converts to Greek Orthodoxy. Right. And it's like they've gotten tired of all these different variants and they want to go back to the original whatever that means. I don't want to jump into that argument, but it's got the word orthodox, so I think it's original. And they get really hyper into it. You could tell new orthodox Christians. Right. Because they are they walk around bowing zealots. and making the sign of the cross. They're, they're, they're zealots. Yeah, they're a little worked up. Yeah. Um, and uh, I see the same thing with new conservatives. The new conservatives who showed up, it's like Trump kicked open a door in the consciousness of a lot of people right. and and there's a reason to step in and they're whole hog and anybody who's not whole hog is a phony right so there's this who can out conservative who uh kind of thing going on i see it all over the country i see it definitely here in arizona right so you know, obviously trump was super popular but apparently not popular enough to win by enough to win the state but right uh, i've been a huge supporter give us an idea I want I, this is a multi-part question, so I'm taking a long way to Tipperary. Um, give us an idea where you are in that continue, continuum of you know your Trump right winger and your uh, mainstream kind of mid mid tier conservative. Give me so an idea always, where you are in that I've, I've always been pretty damn conservative, um, and when I say that, you know whether it's uh, dealing with the Second Amendment, the pro life issue. Um, I've always been pretty hardcore conservative. In fact, uh, you know, when I ran for Congress uh, in uh, 2012, I'd sat out for 12 years, and you, you just don't do that. You don't sit out and then run again because uh, nobody knows who you are. And I was running against the sitting Speaker of the House for Arizona's uh, state legislature. Who's that? Kirk Adams. Okay. And he ended up becoming the chief of staff for uh, uh, Governor Ducey. Anyway, um, when I ran in that election, I developed a reputation during the 90s as being pretty hardcore. Uh, Steve Largent, Tom Coburn, and I, uh, we were, you know, we were kind of the vanguard back then. And, uh, uh, you know, holding Gingrich and others to the line to keep the promises that we made. And uh, because of that, a lot of the go-along, get-along guys, uh, the, you know, the mainstream uh, Republicans. Yeah, I call them country club Republicans. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they they weren't fans of me at okay. all. Uh, and when I ran for Congress again, uh, both uh, John McCain and Jeff Flake 
endorsed my opponent, Kirk Adams, ran commercials for him, did everything they could to help him get elected. Um, and it's because I'm, I don't pull any punches. Um, if somebody's a Republican and they lie, or somebody's a Republican and they don't keep the promises that we made, uh, then I speak out. Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. It's just that I signed up to get a job done. I believe in the Constitution with everything that I got. And I believe that if we actually only passed constitutional laws, the budget would be balanced by next Tuesday. Because there's so much friggin' stuff in the in in Washington D.C. that is that is passed That's that is un, oversight that is un, uh, overreach, overreach. Yeah, like yeah. like the Department of Education. I sponsored legislation every year that I was there to get rid of the Federal Department of Education. You show me in the Constitution in the enumerated powers where education's in there. It's not right. And so I'm I'm a strict constitutionalist, and I'm somebody that believes that if we make promises, we keep them. In fact, I, I gave a term limits pledge. And I was one of the few that actually kept my promise on that. So that's not popular with uh, a lot of the, you know, the, the uh, country club Republicans. And so, um, you know, I campaigned, uh, when I campaigned in 2012, I was very much, excuse the pun, a salmon swimming upstream because I was fighting against, uh, you know, the, all the establishment guys. And I won that election. I went back to Washington, D.C., and I got sick with what I saw. The Republicans, many of them, most of them had turned into a bunch of wimps. John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. We promised that we were going to repeal Obamacare, and we weren't bringing the bills to the table. And so I got sick of it. And so Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Ron DeSantis, and I got together, and we created the Freedom Caucus. And we were a pain in the butt to those Republicans that were, uh, you know, just mouth-only Republicans. Are you pissed off? Yeah, I'm pissed off because I, I get sick and tired of politicians promising one thing and doing another. I've heard it all my life. And, and so of the people out there that, uh, that, 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 that I'm talking to, that I deal with, they hear these people say one thing and do another. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, big friggin' celebrity. He was gonna go and change everything, be such a great guy, the Terminator. He, he ended up being a loser. He ended up being somebody that didn't keep the promises. He did not honor the, pl uh, the promises that he made, and he was a loser. Jesse Ventura in, in Minnesota we can go through all these different people that promised to be one thing and then they ended up being something else. Well, we see these folks that are kind of ingenues, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, they've got name recognition and they, they, they think they're smarter than the scripts they read. Right. They've stepped into these positions and because of name recognition, you can come in and do something. Well, when times, you got right? some celebrity, yeah, absolutely. You, can, you can walk in and the thing is, you know, it's like, but then their handlers take over, the, but then their handlers take over and they've got no rudder. They've never fought a conservative fight in their life. And they're out there making all these promises of everything they're going to do if they're elected, uh, you know, to a position. And I, you know what? I'm sorry, but I've seen those people and they're a dime a dozen. And I've seen more of those people than I've seen real people that actually want to fight. Well, so, so, um, I, I know you're running for governor here in Arizona. Tell right. me, who do you think on this landscape is your competition? I mean, clearly there's a there's a half a dozen people in the primary that are serious. Yeah, there's uh -huh. a, there's there's probably five people in the primary that are serious. And honestly, Greg, I take them all seriously. They've all got different skill sets. You know, Carrie's a celebrity, uh, and uh, you know she's been on the fake news for the last thirty years or twenty seven years, and she's made a name for herself there. Uh, Karen Taylor Robeson's got a bunch of money, mm -hmm. uh, and you know she'll she'll be able to stay the course. And uh, Kim Yee, uh, I I really respect her. I mean, she was a great state legislator. I think she's done a 
good job as uh, state treasurer. And then you've got a businessman, um, you know, Steve Gaynor, and he's a sharp guy. I have a lot of respect for him. All right. Who do you think's, you know, we got a year going. You've seen Arizona politics for a couple of decades. Who do you, uh, who do you see on the horizon uh, having, at, being last man, you know, close to the last, last couple of people standing? I think after all is uh, said and done, uh, you know, Karen is going to have the money to stay and go through the full campaign. And, uh, and so I, I think at the end of the day, she'll be there. I think Carrie Lake will be there. And I think, uh, I, I think I'll be there. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about the backing you've got. Um, how's it look on paper right now? Are you lining up to everybody else? I, I think we're in, in really good shape. Yesterday I had Ted Cruz uh, come out and do a fundraiser for me. And I want to repeat what Ted said, because I think that this is the message I'm trying to carry out to the public. He was asked the question, well, does it bother you that uh, uh, one of your, your friend, the guy that you're endorsing his opponents, uh, ha has been endorsed by President Trump? Does that bother you? And Cruz said, you know, I, I respect the heck out of everything President Trump did. I'm not here to tangle with him in any way, shape, or form. But my yardstick, how I judge people, is that's the scars that they have on their back in fighting the fight. And if they don't have any scars, then I'm not going to give them the time of day because you don't know what they're going to do. They can be, talk is so damn cheap. You can say anything to get elected, right? But actually getting in the fight, you know, like uh, Teddy Roosevelt said in the arena where you're actually fighting yeah. hand to hand combat yeah. and you're actually standing up for those conservative values against a liberal media that wants to kick your butt every time you, you stand up. Yeah. When you've got those scars, then you've earned your, your, your way forward. And that's what Cruz said. I'm looking for somebody with those scars that's actually been in the fight and has been battle-tested and been true to the cause. Yeah, it reminds me of Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan until you punch him in the mouth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So uh, t talk to me a little bit about what do you think? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, we don't know much about you, but I, I don't mean like where you grew up. and that stuff. I don't really care about that. You grew up in Salt Lake and you lived down here. And, I mean, you were we, born there, right? We, I was born in Salt Lake. We've been here since I was 12. Okay. Graduated from Mesa High School. Graduated from ASU. Been married for 42 years. Got four wonderful kids, nine grandchildren. What do your kids do? Um, well, my uh, oldest daughter is on the Mesa School Board. Okay. Uh, she's uh, got a bachelor's and a master's in education. She's been a school teacher. Her husband is my dentist. Okay. And they live about a mile away. They have four terrific kids. Uh, the oldest is a senior in high school. And uh, they're all uh, outside. Uh, they love everything outside. Uh, all my uh, family, we love shooting. We love guns. We love knives. I know it's your packing today. I heard somebody said, hey, uh, Congressman Salmon's packing a SIG. You know what? I And that's what I'm packing today. Um, I, I have a lot of favorite guns. Okay. Uh, you know, and somebody asked me one time, you know, how many guns you got? And I said, no self-respect respecting gun owner can tell you how many guns they have. I don't know. I have a lot. I know. It's the same way. You know, I don't say, know how many. I, mean, I haven't done inventory. I haven't counted them all. I've got a lot. I've got, uh, eight, you know, a couple of ARs. I've got a lot of hunting rifles. I deer hunt every year. Uh, I've got a lot of deer heads on my wall. Uh, you know, I, I, I love outdoors. I love to shoot. Um, my, I'd say my favorite pistol right now that I have is one I just got about eight months ago. Uh, from the vault in Mesa, commercial for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I bought a Nighthawk, and uh, it's probably uh, my favorite gun I've ever shot. I had a really nice Ed Brown, you know, that I've had for many, many years, but this Nighthawk uh, puts it to shame. 
And uh, I, you know, I, I mean, it's, that's probably my favorite pistol that I have right now. But uh, I have a Glock that's all tricked out, uh, and you know, got the Trizicon uh, red dot sights on it, and I love it. It's it's a fun gun to shoot, but nothing that compares with my new Nighthawk. I love it. All right, cool. And uh, I see you're a knife guy too. You're the first person I've had come in. Uh, political person that we've had come in to talk with us who's actually slinging one of our knives. Uh, I, and I got that actually um, about uh, two or three years ago from a really good friend of mine, uh, Brady Miller. Over from Monkey Edge. Monkey Edge. Yeah. Uh, and he's a dear friend and I buy a lot of knives from him. And uh, yeah, I, I love knives, hawks, you you know, I love them all. Oh, awesome. Okay. So um, let, me, let me run through a couple of other things here. So um, tell me what makes you jump back in because you've had kind of two stints as part of that largest le legislative thing. Right. Um, you took a crack at this executive thing and uh, unfortunate alignment of events and wins. Right. And that happens a lot of times. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, what makes you come back? Scared as hell. I mean, I, I look at what's happening. I think about, you know, my mom and dad. My mom and dad grew up during the Great Depression. My mom never graduated from high school. She left home when she was 16 because they didn't have enough money to put food on the table. So she went to Georgia and became a nanny. Uh, my dad went into World War II, uh, fought uh, the Japanese in uh, New Guinea. He was the BAR guy in his platoon. Was he Marine? Uh, he was uh, Army. Oh. And, uh, and so because he had the most firepower... Uh, you know, the Japanese snipers, that was the first guy they wanted to pick off. So my dad saw a lot of action. Um, one of the bravest, most gutsy guys I've ever met in my life. But they left me a better America than they got, by far. Right. And I can't say that right now. And I believe that the only way we're, having served in the belly of the beast in Washington, D.C., and seeing that cast of characters back there, I do not have the confidence that they're going to turn this country around. I really don't. I believe if we're going to do it, it's going to be one state at a time. And our founding fathers, they gave us the tool. It's the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments, which say that everything not delegated to Congress is left to the people and the states. Yeah. All the enumerated powers yep. are clearly enumerated. If they ain't there, then that's for the people and the states. And we've been passing unconstitutional stuff probably since Woodrow Wilson. And I believe that we need a governor that's going to stand up and fight against that encroachment. A second piece... Uh, you know, whether it's vaccine mandates or whether it's dealing with, uh, you know, any of the crap that's coming from this administration, we need to have a governor that's going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to comply with that. And and the, the, one of the people I looked to uh, was uh, one of the guys that started the Freedom Caucus with me. He was my best friend when I was in the House. That's Ron DeSantis. They are doing things the way I want to do things in Arizona, and that is to keep the federal government at bay. And when they're not doing their job, like on the border— I believe we need to step in and do our own job because we have a sovereign border to protect. In Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, it guarantees every state that we will be free from invasion. Well, we're being invaded right. and we are not being protected. We have a right to stand up and protect what's ours. I, uh, I, I, you know, I've... I've not made any secret about the fact that I want to run for governor. Right. Uh, not this cycle, maybe not next, but the one after that. Right. Um, That's great. And one of the things that I'm obsessed with is the ability as one of the chief 50 executives in the country uh, is that you can 
put your finger in the eye of Washington you can. and you can pour the light on their insanity. Yes. Better here than you can in Washington because far better. I say you I say you you uh stand up for the constitution and you challenge everything they push that comes to Arizona, even if it seems like it makes sense. Right. And you block all of it and force them to shine the light on it and you force everybody to have the discussion because for everybody who's kind of a baller and has the balls to do it, there are five other governors wondering if they should. Well, and they will follow suit. You know, it's kind of like that movie Field of Dreams. If yeah. you build it, they will come. I agree. And I, and I believe that. And I I've, I've been talking to, you know, a lot of the different governors. And Ron, fact, Ron's done it better than any governor I've seen. In, he's done a great job. Unbelievable. Christy Nome in South Dakota, she's yeah, done a great she's job. Done too. Abbott's doing a good job yep. in Texas. Um, I just got a call today from the governor of Oklahoma uh, while I was on the way, uh, you know, here to do this podcast. And uh, the governor of Montana, I spent about an hour on the phone with him. They passed a law in Montana that says if you require your employees to have uh, the uh, vaccine, then you're violating our state's discrimination policy. He signed that into law. I will do the same thing as governor. We've got to stand up for freedom. And Arizona has more freedom, more opportunity, more growth than any other state. We do not want to become like California. We, right. want, we want to maintain our identity and, and, and our freedom. And being uh, agreeable and being passive don't work. Is what happens. Look, I'm all for being a gentleman. Being too gentlemanly right. gets you rolled over. And that's what happened to Californians because you know that's a big state with a lot of people and half of them are still pretty Republican. Right. And they're done. And, and, and when you see what's happened with some of these other states, I think, you know, one of the things I'm hearing on the campaign trail as I'm going around is uh, it's actually a statement that was made by the head of the, uh, the uh, uh, Navy uh, in uh, Japan after they bombed Pearl, Har Pearl Harbor. Remember he said, I've, I'm afraid we've awakened the, oh, sleeping, the sleeping giant. Tiger, yeah. I think the, the Biden administration giant, yeah. has awakened the sleeping giant. I think and so I'm, too. I'm seeing people come from out of the woodwork right now to stand up and, and be willing to fight. And I am as excited as I can be to lead on that fight. I, you know, it's funny. My, a lot of my conservative friends are just so downtrodden and they're so pissed off. And I'm like, I, I'm excited. Funny. I'm excited I'm, too I'm because ex I think we got an opportunity. There's nothing here. better than the light of day. Now you right. see what they really want. Right. And, it's, and, and, and I, I hate to keep coming back to Trump, but everybody who fights him has to take off their clothes and we see who they are. Right. These folks have shown us who they are. They're zealot Marxists and they're, they're going to ruin the country. They are zealot Marxists. And regardless of, uh, you know, like, like let's talk about critical race theory. Cause that, when you talk about Marxists, sure. There's nothing more Marxist than that. But so let's say we ban that, which we will, we have, you know, we'll get it done. What are they going to come up with next year? It'll be something else. It'll be something else. So the only solution for this is something I'm pushing big time. And that is for the parents to be able to take their tax dollars and put their kid in whatever school they want their kids to be so in. school choice. It's school, full-blown school choice. And we've got it pretty well here in Arizona, no, don't we? No, we don't. So give me an we idea. Don't. What? Tell me what it is in a real quick nutshell and what you want it so, to be. So, so right now, the only kids that can go to private or parochial schools on the government dime are kids with special needs. I want it for every kid. And I think that's the only way. Okay, so not not the public charter. You mean actually no, I, be able to? Yeah, do, public. I I I want them to be able to go to charter schools. I want them to be able to homeschool. I want them to be able to go to private or parochial schools. I want families to decide the best school for their kids, and I want bureaucrats 
in the education community understand if you're not keeping your customers happy, you're going to lose customers. So the cornerstone of capitalism, everybody, really is accountability. As you own a company, if you make good products, you're accountable to the market. The market responds in favor. If you are not good with your products and you're not accountable, they will respond and buy from someone else. And, if and that's you, exactly what we're talking and about And if here. you believe in capitalism, conservatives like us talk about school choice and vouchers as a way of allowing parents to vote every day, even when it's not the election cycle. And what this does is it brings politics and empowers individuals in their school systems to vote for good and bad schools with their money, which right. speaks, everybody's full of shit until money's involved. And right. then you're like, oh, okay, this is real. You can tell a school board and they can put you on a two minute timer and shut you up. You can tell a school board this, you can tell a school board that, but when you take your money, they can't, that, that shuts them up, right? in their place right and it scares them and so uh i'm just giving everybody a little context because we talk about these in these um 30 second news bits that we've right. been trained into right for the last 100 years but really um your typical democrat or left of center person says the tax dollars in your neighborhood should stay in your neighborhood and go to those schools and they should be sacrosanct that's part of that community that you live in and um, what they're doing is forcing this imposition of where the money goes and locking it up so it's theirs. And what conservatives or freedom people are thinking from the opposite side of the spectrum is, well, that's great if the school's great. If the school's not great, I should be able to tax my, take my tax dollars and divert them with my kid to better education. And what happens is in the free market, the local school has to adjust because the, the money goes down or the local school closes. Or they go out of business. Right. And and, and, honestly, and it's ultimately, it's just accountability. It is. And nothing provides accountability more than a free market. Right. And it works in the private sector. It will work there. The other thing that I want to do in the schools is actually get merit pay, real merit pay into the schools so that really great teachers who are getting good results and the parents you know, think highly of them, mm -hmm. they can be making over $100,000 a year. But to do that, we're going to have to tangle with the teachers union because all they care about is everybody gets the same thing every year, regardless of the job they do. I've been noticing this everywhere. You know, I, I used to travel twice a month uh, before COVID hit. Okay. And I'm seeing this. I went to this, I'm a foodie. So I went to this really nice place up in Portland uh, out to dinner. And I, and I always meet everybody and talk to them about what they're up to. How do you like a game? So I waitress comes over and I asked her server. I, she, I said, Oh, how's the, how do you like working here? What a cool place. And the first thing she did is she dove into this. They pooled their tips. And, um, I, and I said, well, that's very Marxist of you. She goes, oh, it's great because, you know, we all just take care of each other. I go, uh, I go, you know, I, I, and I turned to, you know, as soon as she walked away, I turned to the folks that we were at dinner. I said, oh, the service is going to suck here because they don't have to compete for their money and they don't give a shit. Their young people are just being brainwashed into this it's every, all for Marxism. one for all. Everybody gets the same thing. And all it means is shit. Yeah. Everything yeah. collective turns to shit. Absolutely. Um, and the thing is, it's not just a saying of kooky right-wingers who carry pistols. It's We can see it in play around the world. We don't have to guess about this. What, well, when you think about it, Greg, are, are, are people uh, crossing the border in mass numbers in some of these socialist countries like they are ours? No, they're not. Because it doesn't work. And they don't have a life that everybody dreams about. Everybody's crashing our borders because we've got a great lifestyle and, and the free market works and our economy is humming.
Right. You know, the only reason European countries have Syrians going there or uh, North Africans... Because uh, it really sucks in the other countries. It's because it's the 12th century where right. they're coming from. Right. And Europe... And then the minute they get a chance, they would all come to the United States. I talk right. about this all the time. If you poll for the last, I don't know, 25, 50 years, you've, I'm sure you've seen this. They've polled nations around the country. And the number one place everybody wants to go is the United States. Of course. In... And, and if you add up like the next 10 or 20 countries, the percentage is still greater for the U.S. It's where everyone wants to come. Right. Um, because the American dream is really something that is about whatever you want to do or become in this country, as long as you're willing to put in the effort yeah. and the elbow grease, yeah. then uh, you're going to get it. And I think, you know, that's what we should be doing as we screen people to come in the country. We should be looking for people who are coming for the dream, Absolutely. not for the handout. Absolutely. Right. And I don't think most Americans would begrudge those kind of folks nope. that are actually coming in and want to pull their weight and actually want to contribute and, yeah. you know, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit. I, I've When your name has come up a couple of times with gubernatorial candidates that yeah. I've spoken to in the last couple months... They really like to rag on you about ASU, the Confucius Institute, and all of right. that. So this is a time to take a few minutes and unpack that a little a bit. Absolutely. As you mentioned, well, first of all, when I left uh, Congress this last time, I had some really good friends uh, that said, uh, Matt, if you can get in with the university, boy, do they need a conservative voice. And you ought to try to do it. And so I joined ASU. I've got to tell you, we won some battles. I, I, I got some really good things, I think, to happen, and I lost a lot. Um, but I don't regret my time. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I was able to make some good uh, changes at the university. We uh, actually brought a really, really conservative school that's based on, uh, you know, Adam Smith economic theory, what we've just been talking mm -hmm. about, and uh, goes back to really uh, teach the kids about the Constitution. You, you brought a class to the school? Is no, it's not a class. It's actually a school within ASU. What's it called? Uh, and it's called Skittle. And uh, Skittle, uh, don't, I, I've forgotten the, the, the full acronym, but they brought the head of the, uh, uh, or one of the, one of the top guys at the uh, Air Force Academy in to run it. And it's all really, really conservative uh, professors that teach uh, more of the Austrian economic theories okay. and, and uh, teach, uh, you know, uh, uh, about how the found founding fathers came up with the Constitution and the, you know, the, the, uh, all of the philosophies of Locke. I mean, it's, it's just really, really good stuff. And that school came in uh, right about the same time that I did. Uh, and I was able to really help, uh, you know, you know, move them along. And I think so, that's a so good thing. So this is a school within ASU. Let's say you're a history major or an economics major, and you want to. Uh, it, it provided some different kinds of it majors. Provides or what? A, it provides a different, uh, a different philosophy that you can go through to get your education. Because you know, a lot of these professors, uh, and it was really frustrating to me. I actually taught also. I taught public policy. I taught, you know, about the Constitution, and it was a great experience for me. But um, but a lot of uh, the teachers there, most of the teachers, you know, they have a more liberal ideology. Oh, of course. And and it's really frustrating because a lot of the kids uh, end up getting graded on you know whether or not they regurgitate those ideas, and and it's tragic and it's got to change. Um, I ended up leaving ASU. Um, How long were you there for? Four and a half years. Okay. Uh, half a year before I could vest. Did you? <laughs> uh, and, and I quit a half a year before I, I, and the reason I quit 
was because uh, they came up with a policy that all the kids that weren't vaccinated had a mask everywhere, and they had to uh, get uh, uh, tested twice a week, and I gave them my resignation that day. It wasn't just that. I mean, there was a lot of things uh, that it kind of culminated in that, and I left. Um, they actually said I could have stayed. Uh, in fact, the general counsel said I could have stayed till uh, uh, next uh, August, a, a year from now. And with the money I was making, I've given up a hell of a lot. Uh, but I gave it up because I, I figured I needed to stand on my principle. Talk, talk to me a little bit about... Let me talk. To, you, you asked about the Confucius Institute. Yeah, too. I was going to ask you. So for those, yeah. for people who don't know, this was funded by the Chinese government uh, around the United States. Right. They put these Confucius Institute at universities. And it was meant to be some sort of cultural exchange type club that they set up around. No, it was more. It was more about language. Okay. It was more about educating the kids. And as you mentioned earlier, I served a mission for Taiwan. Hardly fans of China. Right. Um, and and uh, so you speak Mandarin. I, I speak pretty fluently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, I was one of the strongest defenders and supporters of Taiwan when I was in uh, Congress, uh, and uh, as such. Uh, made a, a lot of uh, enemies, uh, you know, on the China side. Yeah. Um, in fact, I went to the swearing-in uh, for the president of China, and I, I I got a phone call from the ambassador from China warning me not to go. And I said, you know, screw you, I'm going. And and so I went. Um, but uh, uh, I was one of the strongest voices against the uh, uh, the uh, persecution of the Uyghurs, uh, the selling and uh, harvesting of organs from political prisoners, yeah. um, the buildup of military islands or military uh, installations on the islands in the South China and East China Sea. I've been one of their strongest adversaries on these kinds of things. So anyway, fast forward, I come to ASU and uh, they've had this Confucius Institute for about 10 years already. And uh, it's teaching American kids how to speak Chinese. One of the things I've constantly heard from our folks uh, in the military is we don't have enough Chinese speakers mm -hmm. because we need to do a better job spying on them and knowing what they're up to. Yeah, God, and, I mean, if, and, and if you don't speak their language, you can't you can't do that. Right. They're, and so and so they're like any, Navajo code talkers. Correct. A whole bunch of them. Correct. So anyway, um, I come under all those auspices, and it's been there for ten years. I'm at a conference in Washington D.C., and there was some guy from the AP. It was asking questions, and the Confucius Institute came up, and I said some positive things about it. That's what's come back to haunt me. But fast forward, um, so uh, I and, ended and, up— In all fairness, before yeah. the Trump presidency, right? Um, the Confucius Institute, there was, there was no controversy no, about no, it. No, not at all. And, and, and there was like, like over 100 of them across the country. And you may know this, but I effing hate China. Like I'm, right. I'm as close to a button pusher to right. glass that place as you can be. Right. But, I mean, I would have never thought anything of it. And, and so you get hired by a university. Well, you know who the strongest voice was against the Confucius Institute? Who? Ted Cruz. By far, go check it out. Doesn't surprise me. Go check and and do you think that if I was a China sympathizer, Ted Cruz would be out endorsing me? Right. Not, not on. Not on. No. Uh. Uh. Not going to happen. So anyway, um, I made some positive uh, comments because I believe you know it's a good thing for more American kids to learn how to speak Chinese, so we can do a better job knowing what China's up to. Yeah. Anyway, um, fast forward. Ted Cruz, uh, you know, got very vocal and got an amendment in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, uh, you know, dealing with the Confucius Institute. And I actually went to uh, uh, Michael Crow, the president of ASU, ASU, and I said, we need to shut it down. 
and we did shut it down. It's been closed for two years. And then I called the folks at U of A, uh, University of Arizona, who yeah. also had one, and I told them I think you should shut it down too, and they shut theirs down a so couple months after we did. Basically what happened is the good-hearted, open, liberal minds of our educational system thought it was a great idea to have these foreign language people there because everyone is trying to learn Mandarin. I mean, Well, and I, if you I, learn from a native speaker, it's going to be better. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I live in a pretty snooty part of town, and uh, there's everyone's wanting to offer Chinese programs because they think right. it's the future. And I'm like, right. it's not the future. But right. anyway, uh, so so – it doesn't seem odd to me that it came into existence. Right. It And it seems completely natural to me that as soon as it comes into existence, it gets co-opted by the Chinese government to be used. Is that kind of what happens? So what my... And I'm, I'm what, not making excuses what, for you or what, them, no, but what, I mean, what my, people don't what know my shit big, about it. What my biggest concern was, um, the more that I learned about it, was the academic freedom part of it. Because, um, like, if, if you wanted to come out and speak in support of Taiwan... And, uh, you know, their independence, uh, the uh, folks that came from China that were teaching, you know, these kids would be apoplectic about it. And so I, I really do believe that uh, academic freedom. In fact, uh, when GAO, uh, Government Account uh, Accountability Office, they uh, investigated, uh, you know, the, the Confucius Institute, they actually gave them a clean bill of health from an espionage point of view. But the academic freedom was something I was really concerned about. When you look at the college campuses, um, the bigger concern about espionage are the ones uh, where they're inviting these China scholars to come Into over. Into the and, science departments, right? Yes. Yeah. To, to come and do research. Yeah. And that one really concerns me. And, I, and, and, and when I'm governor, several things. For one thing, if you want to deal with a, uh, an adversary like China, having a governor that actually understands China and knows how to go to battle with them is yeah. a good thing. Yeah. And I'm that guy. The second thing is, if any uh, espionage happens, we're going to prosecute them to the nth degree. They try to steal our trade secrets or hack into our systems. I'm, I'm for hanging them. We will so. prosecute them to the nth degree. The, that, the last thing is, any contractors that do business with the United States, or excuse me, with the state of Arizona, we're going to tell them, if you're doing business with China, you're not going to be a state contact tractor. Excuse me. You know, I think back to uh, Lawrence of Arabia. and there was. I a, love that there's, movie. There's a great line oh, in there. Peter O'Toole. There's a great line where Peter O'Toole, uh, you know, he uh, speaks some Arabic, and the guy says, oh, you, you've learned to speak Arabic. He says, oh, then you're a secret Arab inside. Right. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people have little uh, – a lot of people have little thoughts like that. Um, I wanted to have the discussion about Mormonism – the mission, right? Um, how Mormons end up being polyglots because of their their uh, international right. missions that so many of them do at a such a higher rate than right. their average population, right? And I think a lot of them, folks are a little hazy about Taiwan versus oh. China. Oh, let me tell you, it confuses people. It doesn't so, confuse no, me. No, no, no. Let me tell you, Taiwan came to be because Chiang Kai Shek, who was fighting against Mao. Uh, you know, in, in China, was basically chased out of, uh, out of China. And they went to island of Formosa, which is, is now Taiwan, and they, and they formed uh, a new government. Uh, you, you wouldn't find a more thriving democracy on the earth. And they hate China. Let me give you an example. So when I first got elected in 94, Newt Gingrich takes us on a delegation to, uh, to China, about 20 members of Congress, both sides of the aisle. And uh, two, two stories I want to share with you. One, uh, we met with the top general of the Chinese army. And he walks in with his underlings and he's bad-mouthing 
all of our delegation in Mandarin. He's saying all these horrible things about us. We're a bunch oh of idiots. God. Fantastic. And I let him go on for about 10 minutes. And then I started speaking Mandarin. He saw his jaw hit the floor. He looks at me, he goes, you speak Mandarin? And I said, yeah. He said, did you understand everything I just said? I said, 100%. And he said, well, you know, I was just kidding. I said, yeah, I'm sure you were. Anyway, it lets them, I, it, it's been a really handy tool for me. Jesus, I bet. To be able to stay on top of these guys. But then I'm doing a press conference and I'm doing it in Mandarin over there in China. And there are all these, you know. Oh, and I bet the Gingrich and the delegation just love it. They loved it. Yeah, they yeah, loved yeah. it. And there's all these, you know, commies, uh, you know, with their cameras and everything. And I referred to communism. I wasn't trying to be an asshole, but, you know, I ended up uh, referring to communism as Gongfei. And everybody That's pejorative. Everybody gasps. And they're like, you know, and, and after I, I finished, one of the reporters came up to me, a young lady, and she goes, where did you learn your Mandarin? She's saying it in Chinese. I said, well, I learned it in Taiwan. She says, oh, oh, that makes oh that's, that's the reason. I said, why? She said, you just refer to communists as communist bandits. It's <laughs> fantastic. So, you know. Because it's built into the vernacular. Oh, it's in built into, yeah. yeah. They, they have such a, but, but you see, you know, China is threatening them every day. Uh, you know, sending, uh, you know, ships down the Taiwan Strait, yeah. uh, cutting into their airspace with their fighter fighter pilots and their bombers. And, and you know, Taiwan is, is, uh, is one of the, I mean, it's like Israel with us. They are one of our strongest allies and they love freedom more than I can say. You know, I run into Taiwanese and I love chatting with Taiwanese. I was in Vegas setting up a store there and uh, we had a Taiwanese fan of our company come in and uh, we started talking, and he said, oh, I want to take you to my favorite Taiwanese place for lunch. So I went with him to get some dumplings. and uh, They're the best. <laughs> we sat down and started talking, and he was talking about his father coming here from Taiwan, and I was asking him about China. And he was talking, he's like, you, he's like, You're, my dad, you know, my dad loves you. He, he anti-China, like, unhinged about it. And, right. it, you know, that's why we left Taiwan. And uh, I've been accused of being a racist because I'm anti-Chinese, and I'm, but like, but I'm not anti-Taiwanese. I'm anti-communist. Yeah, that that's where I'm at. I mean, honestly, even in China, you know, among the rank and file, they don't like living under communism any more than we would. But they don't have much option. But they don't either. have any option, right? And but the government, look, they made. When you go back uh, and you look at kind of the chronology, the evolution, after Deng Xiaoping and you know he wanted to open up China and Nixon. You know, in 72, normalized uh, the, the relations uh, with China at the time. And, uh, you know, since that time, uh, it's just gone backward again. Yeah. So so the, the, the first really so-called freely elected president of China uh, after, after Deng was uh, uh, Jiang Zemin. And they really wanted to move to a more, uh, you know, free market-based China and kind of relinquish some of the reins off of China. The bad thing that really happened was uh, when this current president got elected, Xi Jinping. He's he's you know he's not a good person at all. He and he's basically declared himself the eternal leader, and he wants to go back to full throated communism. Um, it's it's a total reversal of uh, where they were even ten years ago. Yeah, and it's scary. Yeah, um, and, and China you know poses the biggest threat to our society by it's, far. It's existential. It's existential. And, and the, you know, I see a couple things going on. One is I see their assault on us. And two, I see us being a bunch of capitalist whores who've sold ourselves out. Well, look at what the NBA did. Yeah. I mean, like when people stood up for Hong Kong, and I've met with those uh, freedom fighters in Hong Kong as well, you know, the umbrella movement, the kids 
that stood up to you know stood up to China and got imprisoned. I met with the leaders of that. I embol- I tried to embolden them and tried to pass legislation when I was in Congress you know, to back them up and help them. But um, you know, you look at um, so much of the corporate America that just you know wants to do everything they can to to keep the gravy train going, yeah. in spite of the fact that. Um, it's enslaving people and, 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 and it's making life more dangerous for us as Americans. So we've yeah. got to do everything we can to stand up and, uh, and assert, uh, you know, our, our strength, peace through strength, uh, just like Ronald Reagan and, yeah. and Trump talked about. We've got, to, we've got to be the toughest guy on the block and we can't take any crap from China. But in Arizona, again, fast forward, um, you know, it's a good thing to have a governor that actually knows art of war yeah. and how to fight with China actually knows how to well, beat them, it's important how to to beat them at their own game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know the enemy and I know how, well, to, how to, how to, how to deal with them. There's a lot of smoke in the air. We see Taiwan semiconductor put in the largest factory in the world for making semiconductors in here in town. Right. There are other Taiwanese companies that are offshoring their manufacturing to the United States. I think they see the writing on the wall. They do. They know they what's want, coming. Right. And I think the weakness that we're projecting from a feckless Washington that doesn't have any teeth, I think all it does is embolden China to do. It does. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, was on Steve, I was on Steve Bannon's show, uh, you know, War Room uh, a few weeks ago. That's exactly what I said. Uh, you know, in regard to Afghanistan, all that has done is embolden our enemies, like uh, like Xi Jinping and uh, and uh, North Korea. This is what children lefties don't understand. Iran. When you talk to lefties, they say, "Oh, well, we had to get out of that war," and you say, "Well, listen, you got to get out of the war the right way." Right, exactly. We got four other bad guys who all want to start and do anything they can to vanquish us right that we have to keep them in check and every move we do is on the chessboard and they watch all of this stuff yeah and especially in china you know there's this phrase paper tiger Mm -hmm. and they view us as a paper tiger especially right now they didn't under trump no because trump got tough you know when he did how he dealt with them with the tariffs and everything and uh you know he was tough with them and but right now they see us as easy pickings and and, and we've got to stand up and because taiwan's a big reach I mean, Taiwan's a big reach for the United States to go over and try and defend a country that's right off the coast of another country. It's uh, a really big reach. It's a really big reach. It's a really big reach, and it's really important, and that's why it's so important to be crazy like a fox in many ways, keeping Xi Jinping on his heels instead of letting him pivot and dictate the tempo of discourse internationally. We should be cramming his economy up his ass with our tariffs. And we can I know. It, and we can. And, and so and, we've let off on all that. We let them off the hook, and now they're up to trouble again. I say keep them on the hook, and that way they're busy staying in power. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And and whether, you know, it's all these despots across the world, you know, dealing with Iran on their nuclear deal and all this other stuff, and, and with Kim Jong-un, Rocket Man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they are uh, hell-bent on destroying everything that we love and know. And the only thing that keeps them at bay is wondering what we're going to do if they you know the only thing that keeps them at bay is is wondering if i hit them are they going to hit me back five times as hard right and if they know the answer to that then you just then let they them don't do hit. whatever they want then they don't hit right right um i've talked so much uh and i i, I imagine it is something if i was your campaign manager it is one of the things i would be touching on uh to the audience to the electorate here in arizona when i talk to white women between the ages of 32 and 65 yeah um who basically are the ones who unelected trump 
And uh, it wasn't black people. More black people voted for Trump than ever voted right. for Republican. And Hispanics. It wasn't Hispanics. No, they voted for him too. It wasn't men. Uh, right. It was, it was white right. women. Suburban. And, and my, my discussion to white women out in the suburbs, you know, you don't like his grab women by this or right. any of his locker room right. talk that a lot of guys are guilty of when it's just the dudes talking. Um, in the meantime, your 12-year-old son who's going to public school or private school here in Arizona, he'll be of age for the war. Your 14-year-old, your right. high school kid. Right. The war is coming, and he'll be of age. And people are insulated because there's no draft anymore, so there's no accountability right. for voters to be thinking right. about how war impacts their children. Right. But if you vote for weakness, and you vote for feckless leadership, and you vote for the soft, what you're voting for is you and your neighbor's kids to go to war. That's a great point. And I resent the That's shit out of it point. because my family always raises the hand and steps up. Yep. And I see generations of families that have never stepped up and they're offended by tough talk. Right. They're offended by mean tweets and they're offended by somebody getting hot under the collar talking politics or right. angry at right. Washington. Right. And the get it all back to personal. Ladies, if you don't want your son's to go to war. Then elect somebody that's actually going to be strong. You got to put somebody with balls in Absolutely. office. Absolutely. And, and I just hate to say it's so blue collar, but right. that is what we have to say to them. Right. See, after all the nuance, just remember, your 12-year-old right now will be of age for the next war. And when they've got their driver's license, they're on the way home from school, and it's their senior year in high school, and one of their friends joined, and they come home and say, hey, I joined the Marines. How do you think that's going to feel? Because my parents know what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go, holy shit. Greg, that's that's a great uh, that's a great thought process. And I think that you know, the other thing is, uh, Trump was not this let's be the world police kind of guy either. Because mm. when you think about you know, and that's been one of my problems. I, I I as a congressman, I fought very very hard for the War Powers Act and the fact that yeah. if a president doesn't declare war, we shouldn't be. Or excuse me, if the Congress doesn't declare war, then we shouldn't be there. Yeah. And and, and Congress has abdicated its responsibility every time since Vietnam. I know every you know, president actually since Korea. Yeah. You know we we call them conflicts. We don't even call them wars. We don't even have the guts. And and then we. We put our folks, our, our young men and women in harm's way without clear objectives well, we, of victory. We, we've made it too easy for one elected person who's temporary right. to put so much blood and treasure and commitment. Yep. yep. And it's it 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 angers me. Hey, look, I'm, the, I, the, the best answer again is peace through strength. Yeah. When we project strength, scary and, strength, scary strength, shock and awe. So. Uh, have you heard? Do, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson at all? Yes, I am. I love him. You know, Jordan's one, one of the of my, smartest guys I've ever he's listened to. One of to. my favorite. I he's love one him. of my favorite. Yeah. My dad's a psychologist, so right. my my dad. Loves my son him. is a psychiatrist. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So if you listen to Jordan Peterson, one of the things since his uh, the last year or so since he's kind of come back from his illness, right? Uh, one of the things he's talked about is um, the the uh, almost the virtue in being a dangerous person, right? And, uh, and people and women always get their hackles up and liberals get their hackles up. He goes, I'm not saying violent. I'm saying dangerous. He goes, there's nothing virtuous about being a wimp who doesn't fight. There is something virtuous about being uh, capable and having restraint and but being it, tender. Greg, it also gets beyond just rhetoric. It's showing action. It's, it's being willing to belly up to the bar and do what you got to do. It's not just about talking tough, it's about being tough. And that's one of the things that I think 
Trump did very, very well. Uh, I think Reagan did it well. You know, when he walked over, uh, when they were doing the negotiations on, on uh, yeah. uh, the nuclear uh, reduction, and he walked over and said, Nyet. Um, the, the, the fact is, if, if you have courage and bravado and you stand for what you believe, it gets around. Well, and, and, and I, 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 I always try to bring geopolitical stuff back to the personal and the, and the, and the local. Be. Because people, it, most people, you start talking geopolitical chess and they're like, right. their brain goes, I just got to get my kids to school. But it's the same principle in everything. It's the same principle and it's the schoolyard yeah. principle. Yeah. It is dealing with a bully. Right, punch them in the nose. Once they see their blood, then they go running uh, home to mama. Say, oh, don't mess with that one. And that's what we want, and we can't keep putting these softies in there who believe the world's a different place. Well, you know, when when uh, uh, we created the Freedom Caucus, um, we got hell, holy hell, from all the other, li literally 90% of the people in the Republican conference. We were just a bunch of turncoats. We yeah. weren't backing the Republican Party. Right, right. When I think we backed the Republican Party more than they did, far more than they did, because we were actually fighting for the principles we said we were going to fight for. One of the first things that we did was uh, the Freedom Caucus nominated me and uh, Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, uh, who was Trump's chief of staff, but he wasn't at the time. We went into uh, John Boehner, sat down in his office and said, we got the votes to take you out as speaker. And uh, three, two days later, he resigned. You got to have that kind of courage. I've been up against some of the toughest people in the world. I've faced them and I have not blinked. And that's the kind of leader I think we need here in Arizona. Because as we deal with the onslaught that's coming every day from the federal government trying to force us yeah. into submission, we've got to have a governor that says, you know what? It's kind of like Jack Palance on uh, City Slickers. I crap bigger than you. Okay? I am willing to stand up and fight that fight. And I've shown it before. I'll do it again. Talk to me about um, a couple of issues uh, big tech and its effect over our Arizona citizens. I know Florida has um, allowed some lawsuit, they've uh, passed some laws to allow litigation against big we tech. We got to do the same thing. Yeah, you know, we have to do something that hurts them. We, we have Because I get censored really hard. Right. Everybody who's speaking out um, o gets censored. Ultimately, it's going to take a federal law, and I think they need to be broken up. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. They're just too big. And uh, I think the antitrust laws uh, are going to have to be invoked. And, and, uh, and they're going to have to have a comeuppance, but that's going to take years. The federals don't and, have the, and, the feds and, don't and have the balls to and, do it, and they don't have, have the guts. But but uh, you know, at the state level, we can follow uh, suit with what they've been doing in Florida and to provide an opportunity for people to be able to file lawsuits. But that's another difference, Greg. I mean, when you're talking about big tech, one of my opponents has recommend that we put cameras in all the classrooms. Now it sounds like a really great idea. Sounds like a great idea, but it scares the hell out of me, because. When the conservatives are in charge, that's great. All works really nice. Right. What are they going to use those cameras for when the liberals take back over? No, and you know, know the pendulum swings. I know, I know. You've got to have a little bit of a long-term focus yeah. and understand the law of unintended consequences. And no government program ever goes away. They always morph into something rotten. Yeah. And I've seen it every time. Now, it's great to have these novices come in who've never done anything or never fought a conservative fight saying, hey, yeah, let's put cameras in all the classrooms. But the fact is... It scares the hell out of me to have big brother, big tech, big government in the classrooms. Yeah, because you know they'll be running that through Google Classrooms. It'll exactly. Be, it'll be Google Camera. Exactly. So who's saying to do that? Carrie Lake. Okay. So all right. So well, I mean, I just like calling out. And 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 then when I I uh, I try I, I actually did not bet. I didn't say any mean about. it. I just say, hey, look, I disagree with you. 
And then she came out and said, well, I guess, guess Matt's okay with special needs kids getting raped. So it's like, what? Right. That, that's kind of a weird segue. And then, and, and then she said, well, Matt needs to be tougher. And uh, because, you know, he should be able to be willing to, you know, have me say that uh, he, he's okay with kids getting raped. It's like, come on, lady. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm as tough as anybody else. And I'm, I'm not going to shirk because, uh, you know, she said that. But the fact is, I, I, I think that uh, she hasn't thought the process through at all. Right. And, and because she's never fought a conservative fight in her life before this year, I she doesn't understand how it works. I, I talk to a lot of people new to politics, and they come with their solutions. Right. And I'm like, hey, you know, just so you know, all your solutions, yeah. every one of them turns into a government overreach. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and what you think is really great today, 10 years from now, is going to be ass. a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's great to have you in the fight. But why don't you sit back and learn a little bit before you start pontificating all the solutions that, you know. I was, I was sitting at a, uh, I was sitting with uh, a gal who was running for governor. Uh, I remember Frank DeSoma from POF. He was one of my dearest friends. I, w I actually lobbied for him. So Frank and I were sitting with Opio and uh, a gal who was running for governor. Right. It was the four of us and her husband was kind of off to the side. Right. And we were at Pizzeria Bianco. Right. We met down there and Frank was like, he calls me up because goes, hey, Greg, I want you to come to this lunch with me. So she was having this lunch, trying to get money from Frank and from me. Right. And then Arpaio was there and she was trying to turn it into a twofer and get his endorsement because he was kind of in his heyday at the moment. Right. And I remember she was talking about she was going to come down here and kind of save Arizona. And I said, you know, I go, where are you from? I didn't say anything. She says, well, you haven't said much. Greg. I know who you're talking about, by the way. Yeah. And I said, uh, she said, I go, well, listen, I go, look, you went to school. You come down here from another state. You're going to save all of us dust kicking hillbillies with our squinty eyes and disbelieving looks. You're going to save us from our hillbilly selves down here in Arizona. And you're going to bring all this corporate money and all these corporations here because you speak corporate. I said, I can't tell why you want to run for governor, quite frankly. I think you run out of ideas because you went to school. You worked for a billion-dollar company. Now you're not sure what to do with yourself. Because all men want to be rich and rich men want to be king. I said, so I don't know what you want to be here for. But last, I said, I don't, everything you're mentioning are programs and programs sound like Democrat talk and it's more stuff we don't need here. You know what? Government programs, it, it, it's like Ronald Reagan said, government is not the answer. Government is the problem. It is not the solution. It is the problem. When we have to come up with government solutions to everything, and now that I'm hearing Republicans like like this one from Kerry Lake talking about these big government liberal social programs that we're going to put into the classrooms, it's like, come on. Been there, done that. We've done these things, and it actually ends up being a nightmare two or three years, even five years after uh, you know, after it's passed. It ends up becoming one of our biggest problems. Unintended so, consequences. But the best answer for the classrooms, parents get into the classrooms. Yeah. Get get real bodies, they, real eyes, real people. They're uh, they're they, you know because they've used shootings and COVID to block themselves even more now. So they got the bulletproof glass across the front. Right, you can't get in the school right. unless you're buzzed right. in. You can't just say, "Hey, I want to stop in and say hi to my kid and bring him an apple for the lunch." Oh no, can't do that. Right now, I know they got to run an organization and they can't have everybody coming and going, but. I remember when you could go in the classroom and you could see what your kids were up to and it wasn't a problem. And now parents are a problem and they seem to like it. They seem to like not having parents around. Like you got to really schedule it and you got to do lots of planning. 
And uh, what it does is it makes it so you always know who's going to be there watching. And I like them to not know when someone's going to be Parents ought to be able to come in at any time unannounced and be able to come in and sit on the class and see what's going on. I agree. And, and if you have that kind of activity, and that's one of the things I want to make happen. That transparency. So at the state that level, that's something we could do. That Correct. Because, you know, school will get better. I remember when I used to teach kids martial arts. If there were parents watching, I taught a slightly different class. Right. And I'm a pretty kind of... Right raw dude right but i even taught a little differently when my parents had their eyes on me Absolutely. if they weren't there i taught a little differently and uh and and they're cloistered away they can just do whatever they want in their little uh liberal rooms uh talking crazy right um i want to talk to you about banking um we've got you know because i've thought as i've thought about like what would what would i do as governor i see discrimination going on against american businesses that are conservative you're talking about gun gun businesses and knife and, companies and knife companies yeah and, and, the, and, and the, anybody they don't like yeah. they're stopping doing business no i know i and like fact, i've had my money seized now from banks that are funded by the fdic by federal money and underwritten by federal dollars so they've seized my money for six months so I uh, actually uh, represented Troy Industries. Oh, yeah. And I represented... From uh, 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 Springfield, Massachusetts? From Springfield, Massachusetts. I represented Armor Works. Uh, I, I, I did some lobbying, and I, and I know you've heard about that. But I represented uh, Surefire. Okay. And I represented Frank DeSoma and uh, POF. And uh, by the way, I used to take a lot of my payment in products, which was really nice <laughs> for a guy like me. But, uh, uh, you know, they... What do you mean for a guy like you? Because you're a gun lover because you don't have any money? Because I love guns. Oh, okay. And I, and I love, I, I can never have enough guns. Okay, all right, cool. So, so anyway, but uh, uh, all those guys told me the same story, is that, um, you know, they have had uh, the banks really discriminating against them, and it's really, really difficult, uh, you know, to get uh, banks to provide loans. and. Well, and the other thing, they're seizing money. They're not no, the government. No, There's no criminal thing. They're just they're just seizing your money. So, so, so give me your ideas. What can we do to, I mean, what kind of laws could we pass? So at the state level. Can, yeah, at the state can, level. Can we get a law passed that's an anti-discrimination law for banking that I'm says. All, I'm all there. I mean, because I, 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 I would love to do anything I can to help uh, folks in the conservative business. And I think I mentioned it with Sonny Borelli when he was here, but right. I was thinking about it would be Val, it would be valuable legislation to say if you would do banking here in Arizona and you have your branches all over, not only can you, I mean, banks are very discriminatory. You can't redline, right? You can't do all of these racial and discriminatory things in either direction. So if you discriminate against legal businesses, then you're not allowed to operate here. Wow. I mean, it seems so simple to me. Like we will, uh, yeah, we will pull your charter in the state. We will yank your license, and you'll be in violation of state law. I am willing to explore anything and everything as far as legislative solutions to this because I agree with you. It's a big problem. So let's put our heads together and come up with a plan. I, I'm, I'm all there because I've, the, I've heard it from numerous. The last, the last thing we want to do is create. A, but I, I think it's just you could use almost existing laws and say, look, right. we're under this. Right, going to start anti-discrimination right we will we will in the what would you what would happen to a bank in arizona if it just said we're not going to lend to black people oh they'd get killed the justice department right, would come they, in, they, right? They, they'd come in and investigate them, right they'd, so and they'd be shut down in a minute it's the same exact thing you're discriminating on an idea yep if no, you're discriminating I, on an idea right I, I agree with you all I, right i totally agree and i think and you know going back to like the covid thing mm-hmm I think that's the answer to how we need to uh, 
pass uh, change our laws in Arizona to say if you require somebody to get a vaccine at your company, you're violating the state's discrimination policies. If you brought me in as a consultant for your campaign, I've tried talking issues with everybody who comes in and some people want to talk issues and some don't. Right. One of the things I would do is I would directly engage the 30, 30, the young mom to 60 year old mom, right? Your kids going and your right. neighbor's kids going off to war. Because that's the ones we're going to need to hold. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I would right. put that in my in in my lexicon of my my stump. The other thing I would good do, advice. The other thing I would do is how do we engage business owners? Right. And one of the thing is fairness in banking for business owners because we banking right. is a pivot on which we all turn. Right. And uh, th that would get business owners to really pay attention to you because business owners have a tendency. We're all. You know, we, we are looking at the world through the straw of our universe. Sure. And a lot of us, our universe has worked out enough. There's plenty of room on the left and right of the margins for us to do our business, a lot of us. And so there, we just pick who's craziest running for office, who's our kind of crazy. Right. And, you know, I like Carrie or I like this one or I like that one. Yeah. Um, and I think, say, hey, look, you know, you like all these people. They're all really nice people. These are all good people running for office. Yeah, they are. Office. No, they're not. I mean, but nobody... here's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to go make it so that nobody can discriminate you with PayPal. I like, love it. I'd go after PayPal because PayPal seizes money and they're evil. Um, I'd go after these online digital and folks go, big, and they're affecting all these little businesses. Right. You know, if you sell something they don't like, they will shut you down. And then there's no appealing. There's no one to talk to. And and it's done, and they take your money. Well, like I've had, I've, I'm not kidding. I've had thirty, forty thousand dollars held for six months. No kidding. Unbelievable. Wow. Is this by banks or by PayPal or both? PayPal. PayPal. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and the banks, some of them just, oh, they, we don't want to do business with you. You're in the weapons yeah, right. industry. No, I know. And I go. Yeah, what's you're what? okay with a goddamn uh, dr uh, marijuana growing lab? Right. Right. And, right. And, 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 and you have a problem what? with me? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, that, that is really valid, and uh, it is a problem I do want to work on. So let's put our heads together and try to come up with the right mix of legislation. Cool. I'll work with Sonny, too. He's a good friend. I, I like but him that, a lot. Yeah, he's a good guy. So uh, let's see. We I think we just about covered everything here. Um, I want to talk two more things. Yeah. And, and, and I think... One of them is a rehashing so that I want you to gel together for us, this conservative folks who talk smack about you over the Confucius Institute. I want, we've talked about it and we had a real relaxed conversation about it. Right. Um, I want you to give me your one minute, like, sh uh, listen. This is the shut the fuck up about that my, moment my, for you. Talk to me. My, give give my, us your my, minute. My one down. minute is this is all about, you know, campaigning and people campaign to win. And they realize if you take somebody down a peg, uh, my record as a congressman is impeccable. You know, um, I, I w was given the top ratings by every conservative group imaginable. Uh, I started the Freedom Caucus. I kept my term limit pledge. I have actually been out there getting the battle scars, fighting the fight day in and day out for a number of years. And uh, the opponents that I'm running against, they can't compete with that. So they try to do, talk smack. Uh, oh, yeah, Matt did this, Matt did that. The fact is, you know, it's all, uh, it's all crap. Uh, the fact is, there isn't anybody that's tougher on China than me. That's why Ted Cruz came out and endorsed me. There's, the, the, the fact is, when it comes to dealing with protecting our state, 
against the onslaught of bad uh, you know, state actors out there. There's nobody better equipped to do that than me, and I will. I, you know, I think just from a tactical and strategic standpoint, I love the idea of having an elected official who speaks the language of our enemy. Exactly. Um, and when you when you learn to speak a language, you learn a lot about the country. Oh, you do. Um, so you know, I'm when I'm not an American, I'm a German because I speak a pretty fair amount of German, and I really kind of feel like I have a better fingerprint or pulse of Germany. And I've been to France more. Right. But I don't feel like I know France as much as I know Germany. You know, you know when you read the book Art of War. Yeah. You realize you got to understand your enemies better than you understand your friends. I agree. And it's easy to make Chinese connections when a lot of people don't nuance the no. difference between Taiwan and China. Exactly. Exactly. So, and it's an easy, you know, you, you see this article where Matt said good things about a program that's teaching Mandarin Chinese to kids. Oh, yeah, he's pro-China. Let's attack him. It's crap. You go back to my background and the fact that I was one of the staunchest fighters against China as I, ch I chaired the Asia-Pacific Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs, and uh, I, I was the biggest thorn in their side uh, that had been there for years and years and years. And they feared me because I actually spoke their language and I know how they think. What a spectacular um, piece of, it's not leverage, it's just power because they're not fluent in English, but they speak a lot of English. Right. And we show up and we're provincial and don't speak a lick of Chinese. Correct. So to have and so, somebody and who's so, actually... And so when you actually can be a fly on the wall and know what they're saying, like gigantic. that example that I used when I was with Gingrich yeah. in China, uh, you know, it turns the tables. Right. Right. I think it's fantastic. Um, the other... You, and, and so these are all little pick and pull issues that are like threads on the uh, on the loom of our of our tapestry uh, yeah that that is kind of our politics the political cloth of arizona and uh, united states i see a great challenge and it is an evil and i'm i'm not sure what to do about it but you've been in the trenches and been in the history of this enough to know what I'm talking about. And I think it should be addressed because everybody I talk to who's talked about the 2020 election, they're very nonspecific. They're very non-concrete. They can't give me, they can't cite numbers. They can't prove anything. Right. And so they end up sounding kooky. Right. Uh, it's like faith-based hostility. Right. The biggest concern I have right now in Arizona politics, which clearly makes a difference on the national scene, we can be a leader in so many ways. And I don't want to be a leader for the sake of being a leader. If you can't lead from Washington, lead from here. Correct. So I think the most powerful position in the United States is the governor of a state. It's I, better than being president. That's in why I'm many doing ways. What I'm, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I think that's the best place to change things. So liberal money that's come in this state. We've got a crazy millions and millions of dollars that have come in. We've had some of the most expensive uh, senatorial campaigns when we knew it was going to be a split fifty. And we should expect it again. Um, and we we see Soros money. We right. see Pelosi Democrat machine money. Right. Um, what can we do? Well, I will tell you something. And as I've gone around the state and I'm watching more and more people rise up, precinct committee, but more and more people, as I've gone around to the school board meetings, more and more people showing up at school boards, actually holding these school board members accountable and speaking out and, and taking them to task for being rubber stamps for the administrations they represent. It gives me a lot of courage and I will I, I have a lot, you know, I've, I've done a lot of political races. 
I will put a lot more faith in a grassroots army than money any day of the week. Because people fighting for people, they change hearts and minds. You know, you, you think back to some of the greatest things that have ever happened in the world. They didn't happen because of money. They happened because of heart and people that were willing to fight. And I'm, the revolution that started our country. Right. The, the French Revolution. I mean, you know. None of it made sense on paper. None of it made sense on paper. And if we bet, we would have never bet. We would have never bet. <laughs> Jimmy and the Greek would have put big odds right. against, against you know, the American Revolution. Uh, against the sure. American Revolution. Yeah. But when you get people with heart that are willing to stand up and fight, it wasn't even a majority of Americans at the time. There was a lot of Americans that were still loyal to the crowd. It was a tiny percentage. It was a tiny percentage, but they had bravado and guts. And uh, Joshua uh, Chamberlain, it was Joshua Chamberlain at the Battle of, uh, uh, at the Battle of uh, the, uh, uh, oh gosh, it was at the Battle of Gettysburg, but a Battle of Little, Little Round Top. Oh yeah. And Joshua Chamberlain is leading this, uh, this uh, platoon of guys that's supposed to defend Little Round Top at all costs, and the uh, the Arkansas regiment keeps coming up the hill, and they're fighting, you know, shooting their their single shot, uh, you know, rounds, and they ran out of ammunition. And Joshua Chamberlain makes the order, fix bayonets, and the Union Army charges down the hill at the Arkansas regiment, and they were so overcome with the bravado that they dropped their weapons and they were captured. My point is that, yeah, we're fighting some big enemies. We're fighting Hollywood. We're fighting the media. We're fighting against, uh, you know, uh, corporate America. We mm -hmm. really are. And we're fighting against, uh, you know, all this money from the Soroses and all these other liberal entities. But we've got a lot of people with heart that are standing up and realizing we have the power to take things back. And I'm going to bet on them. Yeah. You know, the American Revolution wouldn't have happened if Google was around then. No, it wouldn't have, because they would have damped... They would have tamped that shit down. Neither would the Civil War, because if Lincoln had done a poll among the American people and said, hey, are you willing to fight this uh, this colossal war that will pit father against son and brother against brother, and we're going to lose untold Americans in the name of freeing the slaves? Are you willing? Are you with me? It would have probably come back about 3%. Right. But sometimes... And hopefully more times, people lead on what's right. Right. Lead, the leadership. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you in. I, uh, it's good seeing you. I didn't even recognize you when you came walking up, and it like my brain didn't, hadn't quite clicked. I wasn't in office mode quite yet. Yeah. But it was good seeing you hey, again. It's great seeing you, Greg. And I again, I'm such a fan of what you, ha what you do here, and, and being able to see this today has really made my week. So thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, lovely having you here. You know, it's a, it's such an, it honestly, people wonder why I do this because I don't you know, make any money doing this and uh, it takes away from my professional, right. but it's cathartic for me. I'm less angry and uh, I feel like the, the three-legged milk stool of America doesn't work without a free and independent press. And if they've abdicated their responsibility, then we, fill in the then we have to fill in spot just That's like right. at the border. That's right. And if the press isn't going to be fair, honest, and open and give the time for ideas, the free marketplace of ideas to be seen, we have to do it. God bless you for and that. sharing these around. So thank you. It, uh, it's an honor and a great, great fun having you here. And hey, thanks, uh, I hope during the campaign, uh, as things ramp up, I hope you reach back out or we'll reach out to you. And we I can absolutely meet again. Well, this has been really, really fun. And, and you know, what a great uh, way to uh, go into Christmas week. Uh, thank you. It's really been a great day for me. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I tell you, it's, uh, I, I just, uh, it tickles me to no end. 
I think about my grandfather who came off the boat from Greece here during World War One. He was at sea for two weeks while they were sinking uh, passenger ships in the Mediterranean. Wow. He didn't know that food came with his ticket, so he hadn't eaten for two weeks when he got here. He came through Ellis Island. I got the paperwork where he signed. And uh, if he told his story about becoming an American citizen and how he wanted to fight in World War II, but he owned a trucking company and the government said, no, you run your trucking company. That's really important. When he, t I met him when he was an old man. So I came along in 70. He was born in 02. Right. Wow. Okay. okay. So he was 68 when yeah. I met him. So by the time I was conscious, he was already an old man. Yeah. And I remember, I wasn't sure. I didn't think it was silly, but he carried a handkerchief in his pocket all the time and he would wipe his eyes when he talked about becoming an American. And people, you know, he did really well and he owned property and owned a trucking company and his son did really well. And he cried about America when he talked about America. And I still That's get choked so cool. up. That is so cool. If he were alive today and saw that, you know, his grandson, because he sees all of this, as we do with our kids and our grandkids, the extension of our success. Right. Kind of, right? Right. The, the ability to sit down and talk with congressmen, the elected uh, ruling class, the ability to ask him questions and do this stuff and be able to see it anywhere for anybody who cares, he would have been beside himself so happy. So he would have been so thankful to you and he would have been standing out here to mm -hmm. shake your hand when you walk out the door. So thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And, and Greg, I am so excited that you're involved in the political process and helping shape people's minds. And I really hope that you stay involved and I hope that you're not just talking. I hope you do end up running for governor somewhere. no i'm talking i asked some people i'm not talking about it at all i mean people have been like offered me some money to do it That's like great big donations so i want to uh let's a little bit the campaigns run on uh just like airplanes right how do you make an airplane fly right. money right money. um how do you make a campaign fly money money so uh how can people donate to your campaign so they can go on my website uh, it's matt salmon m-a-t-t-s-a-l-m-o-n-f-o-r-a-z.com salmon like the fish m-a-t-t double t and salmon like fish matt salmon Nap, Matt Salmon for az.com. And, it's the, and it's the number four? Or no, the word for. F-O-R. F-O-R. for az.com. Man, you gotta you gotta get creative with all these. You know, when, you know like I, I reserved some of these names for my kids when they were born in case they ever ran for politics. Yeah. I got them on GoDaddy. I, I, I got a bunch of names for them so they don't have to go figure out what's left. Oh, you did? Yeah. Very cool. It's kind of goofy, but Very cool. I was like, you never know what's going to happen. So uh, um, mattsalmon4az.com. That's it. And they could donate there. Um, do you have an Instagram page up and running? Yeah, have an Instagram page up and running. Have a, a Facebook, have a, a Twitter, at the whole nine yards. So, um, and if you go to mattsalmon4az, it has connections to all of them. So who's running your Instagram? So we have a few people that are helping us on our Instagram. I've got uh, a guy named Danny Diaz uh, who's helping with my Instagram. Colin Shipley, who you met, you know, came with me. They're helping me. I think uh, no one's doing it. I think it would be, be badass. You need to do some position reels, 15 seconds where you maybe have a character like me in opposition to you. Right. Say, well, Matt, what about the Confucius Institute? Boom. And you do like 10 seconds on, fuck that. I, I speak Chinese. I know my enemy. Boom, 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 boom. That would go all over the internet. It'd be nuts. I love it. So, all right. This is all I do is I market it. and I think about it. running the. Thanks, brother. Hey, pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Hey, you get what you pay for right. around here. Okay? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Hey, guys, Greg Medford from The Greg Medford Show, live here in Phoenix, Arizona with Matt Salmon. Thanks for coming in. Look, 2022 is a big year. We can, uh, I hate to say stick it to the man, but we can stick it to the plan. The plan is to torpedo our country and we can stiff arm them completely. 
We're going to take back the Congress. We're going to take back the Senate. We're going to get more Republican, uh, real Republican, conservative, constitutionalist, follow the original rule governors in office around the country. You know, we're, we'll, I don't know if we'll ever get a constitution, constitutional convention. I don't know if we'll ever fix Washington. But if we fix everything else, Washington won't have any choice but to lock and step with us. They, they almost never lead. There's only been a few instances. Most of the time, you know, they didn't pass the Civil Rights Act until most of America agreed with it. And that was most Amer mostly Republicans, too, that did it. That's right. I mean, they don't do anything out in front. No, the no. last time we were out in front uh, was uh, in, in, in the Emancipation Proclamation in 18... I don't know. Was that, was that 1859? 1860-something. Right, right before the war started. Yeah. And then yeah. the, the, the time before that was the taxation without representation. Right. I mean, with Washington's right. led two times. Right, right. So... Um, it's time that we quit looking to uh, simpletons corrupted in Washington to solve the rest of Americans' problems. We solve our problems out here. Washington won't have any choice but to march with us. So uh, we, they can't lead us from afar. From afar, they can be led. That's all I can say. Uh, so we're signing out. I'm out. Have a good one, you guys.